0: From Parkway Church in Karana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So, uh, we've been in our series called Back to School. We've been in it for a couple of weeks now. We've been going back to the kind of the basis of uh, the foundation of our faith and our, and our basic doctrines. That we believe here as a church, and I'm excited to continue that series today. So, I remember as a kid, um, I had a very different definition of what sin was. And to me, when I was young, I thought that my parents couldn't sin. I thought they were infallible, right? Many of you would know my dad. Uh, he pastored here for 15 years. He's a man of God. He's a godly man, and. There was a certain point in my life where I didn't think he ever sinned or could make a mistake. You know, I never saw him cheat, lie. I had never seen him uh, steal anything. He definitely didn't kill anybody. So, right, so in my young mind, I was like, I don't think he can sin. I've never seen my dad sin before. Until this one day. (laughs) Now, again, you guys know my, my, many of you know him. He's a man of God. He's a great man. I love my dad. There's one day, he was carrying a laundry basket down the stairs, and I feel like I remember this pretty vividly. Now, I just saw a documentary that says our memories, um, whenever we recall a memory, 50% of the details change every year. So a lot of our memories aren't actually as reliable as we think they are, but I feel like I remember this pretty well, because this was like formative for me. <laughs> So he's walking down the stairs, I think with a laundry basket. It might not have been, but that's how I remember it now, Uh, almost 15 years later. He dropped it because he slammed his toe against the wall, and he let out a three- to five-letter word. And I remember as a kid looking down going, what did he just say? I could not believe my ears, what I was hearing. I was like, my dad just said that. A pastor, Jay, my dad just said that. I could not believe it. And in that moment, I was—I realized—he is infallible; he cannot make—or he's not perfect; he makes mistakes. So today, we're talking about humanity. Okay. So uh, our, our our topic today in our series is humanity. So we're gonna we're gonna look at quickly um, what makes us human, or the definition of humanity. We're gonna look at how humans always will fall short. And we're going to look at God's role with humanity and God's plan for humanity, okay? Um, So if you could turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. While you're doing that, I'm going to talk actually about a different passage here. Um, So many of us know uh, the fall of man, right? Which happened in Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve are walking around the garden with Jesus. Uh, So Jesus has... Uh, God had just freshly created the earth, right? He had already spoken the, the sky, the sea, the land, the birds, the creatures. He would already created Adam, and then he took out one of Adam's ribs, he created Eve, and they're living in the Garden of Eden with God. Now, this, this time that they were alive in the Garden uh, was actually the ideal condition for mankind. You know, when God created humans, he created Adam, Eve, in the Garden of Eden, in the perfect condition that he saw fit. They were without sin. Things in the Garden were perfect. There was no uh, error. And, and Adam and Eve, what's incredible, and what we often overlook about this, is that Adam and Eve were walking in pure fellowship with God himself. Adam and Eve got to experience something that nobody on earth got to experience. They, they, they literally walked around the Garden of Eden. They tended to the garden. They did work with God himself walking around with them. It was perfect fellowship with God, exactly how God designed us to be. That's why when a lot of people say, you know, when, when I'm in a time of worship or, you know, I came to church Sunday and I felt the presence of God and I felt like that's just where I need to be. It's because it is where we are supposed to be. That's how God designed us. That's our perfect ideal situation to be placed in, is perfect fellowship with God. So, um, we're not going to read the story of the fall because it's a pretty long passage, but I'm going to give you a quick synopsis for those unfamiliar. Um, Basically, God gave uh, Adam and Eve full range of the entire Garden of Eden. Um, There was fruit trees all over the place. Uh, There was probably... Uh, vegetables. I, I want to say that there was a chocolate fountain. The Bible doesn't say that, but I'm just going to assume that there was a chocolate fountain and a coffee tree in there. Um, that's just how I'm going to assume a perfect utopia to be. And God gave Adam and Eve free reign over the entire garden, except for one tree, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. Jesus said, God, God said to Adam and Eve, You can have all of this, but do not eat anything from that tree. And many of us know the story. Uh, Satan came uh, in the form of a snake. Now, if a snake was talking to me, I'd be a little concerned. Like, I'd be less concerned if it was a cool, like if a dog ran up to me and was like, hey, you should eat this. I'd probably listen to it because dogs, dogs are, are pretty good. They don't usually do any wrong. But if a snake told me to do something, I would probably do the complete opposite. I'd be like, I'm, I'm not listening to you. Snakes are weird, but. The snake spoke to Eve and, and uh, tricked Eve into thinking that if Eve ate one of the fruit from the tree she was not supposed to, that she would become like God. So he told her basically that this tree was a secret kept by God because he didn't want them to be as great as him. Now this points out two very important things. This points out, um, this points out that Eve completely understood what God told her to do. Secondly, it shows that there was an awareness that humans, even in their perfect state, weren't as incredible and powerful and mighty as God was. So humans, even in the perfect ideal condition, Eve was still aware that she didn't measure up to God, even in that perfect state. That's important. Or else she wouldn't have felt the need to to go eat it. So Eve ate the fruit. I don't know what kind of fruit it was. Um, If I'm going to eat a fruit that's going to bring sin into the world, it's got to be at least (laughs) a decent fruit, like a pineapple or, you know, maybe like a honey crisp apple or something. Like, I don't know what fruit it was, but I always picture an apple. That's what I always have pictured it. That's kind of what I was, um, when I used to have the flannel graphs in Sunday school, it was always an apple. So, (laughs) but in that moment, Eve ate the fruit. She went over to Adam and said, hey, why don't you try this? The snake told me to eat the fruit. I ate it and look, everything's fine. So Adam, she deceived Adam as well. The both of them ate, uh, ate the, the fruit off of the tree and were in disobedience to God. And in that moment, sin entered the world. Sin did not exist before that moment. God did not create Adam and Eve with sin in their hearts. But Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. They were, they were uh, allowed the devil to deceive them, and sin then entered the world. So we're going to look at what's called the human condition. We often hear that phrase used in churches, the human condition. And after Adam and Eve, all humans now are born sinful. Every person in this room, myself, we are all born sinful. Into sin. How many of you have heard that phrase before that humans are born into sin? We're going to dive into that a little bit. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3 says this this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I'm going to read those last two. Sorry, I'm going to read verse 3 again. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That last, uh, that last verse 3 is very important. By being born into human flesh, we take on a sinful nature. Because Adam and Eve, they were created with perfect bodies, but the second that sin came into the earth, they took on a sinful nature in their bodies. And now by us being born of humans, um, we're all born of a human mother, we take on, by default, a sinful nature. We often hear this referred to as uh, our flesh. Uh, If you read the book of Romans, Paul often uses the phrase Um, flesh to describe our human nature, or our human desires, or um, um, anything that is opposed uh, to the spirit. So our bodies, so after Adam and Eve ate from the tree and sin entered the world, there was a curse placed on humanity, because sin was now affecting us. So now, thousands and thousands of years later, our bodies are still under the effects of that curse of sin. So the reason our bodies are susceptible to sickness, to disease, to pain, to suffering, to emotional turmoil, to separation from God, the feeling of loneliness, isolation, those things are a result of the curse of sin on our bodies. And by being born into a body, we take on that nature. Our human uh, nature, or as Romans again would describe it as, our flesh always tends toward gratifying our own desires. So we have, two, um, we have two spirits living in us, I could say. We have our human nature, which always wants to gratify itself. It's selfish. It doesn't care about our spiritual life. Our human nature wants to satisfy itself as soon as possible. And then we have our spirit, the Holy Spirit, the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in us as well for those of us who accepted Jesus. We have those two natures living with us, and they are always um, at odds with one another. If we go back, way back to Genesis chapter 25, um, we're going to read about two brothers named Jacob and Esau. Now, many of us have probably heard of Jacob and Esau. So where this lands in uh, the biblical timeline is it's after Adam and Eve, but it's before Moses and Pharaoh and the Exodus and all that stuff. It's somewhere in between there. So Jacob and Esau were two brothers. Now Esau was the older brother and Jacob was the younger brother. Now back in those times, in Old Testament times, there was a thing called a birthright that was given to the firstborn son. So if you were the firstborn, you would get most, if not all, of your father's inheritance, which could have been a lot. And in in this case, with who their father was, it was a lot. And Jacob would have gotten a different inheritance. It would have been much less. And what also came along with that inheritance was a special blessing. It was a blessing uh, that comes from God, that, he, uh, that the father would pray over the firstborn, and it was a special favor and a special blessing from God. Okay? Is everybody tracking? That's for the firstborn child. So there's one day when Jacob and Esau... Um, They were just, you know, living life. Esau was out working in the field. I don't know what he was doing out there, but he was, uh, the, the word says that he was working in the field and he was tired. He was probably hot. And Jacob was inside. I don't know why Jacob wasn't helping him, but he wasn't. Jacob was inside making soup, okay? And Esau comes to him. Most of us who know this story, he's a little dramatic because he says to his brother Jacob, Jacob, give me some of that soup. I will die if I don't have that soup. It's literally what he said. I will die if I don't have that soup. That's, so (laughs) that's the definition of hangry, right? Being like, I will die if I don't have that soup. I need that soup, okay? He was getting grumpy. And Jacob pulls a quick one on him and says, okay, he sees how desperate his older brother is. So Esau says to Jacob, uh, or sorry, Jacob says to Esau, sure, you can have some of this soup, but give me your birthright. And Esau is so starving that he does it. He says, okay, you, you can have my birthright if you give me that soup. I just want to comment really quickly. The Bible says it was lentil soup. Who the heck would give their birthright for lentil soup? Like maybe if we're talking like a good like cream of broccoli and cheese soup or a good tomato basil with a grilled cheese sandwich, I get that. But lentil soup? It's terrible. Why would you ever want to give anything? I wouldn't even want free lentil soup. <laughs> Esau allowed his flesh or allowed his human nature to con him into thinking that his hunger was the most important thing that he had in that moment that needed to be satisfied. His flesh allowed him to lose sight of God's blessing. Because he was so focused on his hunger. Are you guys tracking with me? He was convinced he needed that soup right now and it didn't matter what he had to give up. And he gave up his entire birthright and a blessing, a tremendous blessing from God. That's how our human nature is in opposition with the Holy Spirit. There's always, until the day that we die, our flesh, our human nature, is going to be at odds with the Holy Spirit. They're never gonna get along. They will never, ever get along. Um, I'm gonna use the example of picture you have, uh, and I've heard this example used before, and I've used this example before. Picture you have uh, a cage with two angry feral cats in it. And those feral cats will never get along with each other. It doesn't matter what you do, cats are cats. They're crazy. doesn't matter what you do, they will not get along. But whatever one you feed and take care of is going to overpower the other one. If we're feeding our spirit, it can overpower our flesh. It will be able to take over our desires, and we won't feel the need to do what Esau did and act by our fleshly desires all the time. That only comes by feeding our spirit. That's how we can overcome our human nature, is by living close with the Holy Spirit. Um, me and my wife are going through the show right now. Um, I've watched it years ago. It, it's been on, it, it was on TV quite a while ago at this point. Um, how many of you have heard the TV show Lost? Did anybody ever watch that show? Yeah, a couple of us. Um, I'm going through my second time, and I still watch and go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Like every two minutes, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. There's so much that happens in this show, and it's, it, it's a really good show, I like it. And there's a scene in this show where there's a character named John Locke and there's a character named Charlie. And they just caught a boar because they're hungry, they're stranded on an island. For those of you who don't know, it's a show where a plane crashes on an island and then a lot of crazy stuff happens on this island. The island's not what it appears to be. But they catch a boar to eat for dinner. And John Locke is an older gentleman and Charlie is a young rock star from Great Britain. And he was a a drug addict. And so John Locke walks up to Charlie and he takes Charlie's drugs from him. He says, I know about your drug addiction, I'm taking them from you. And he says, if you ask for them back once, I'm not gonna give them to you. If you ask me again twice, I'm still not gonna give them to you. But if you ask me three times, I will give it back to you and that'll be your choice. And Charlie, the younger, the younger rock star, says, "Well, why are you torturing me like this? Why don't you just break the bag open, throw it in the fire and it'll be forgotten about. And John Locke looks him in the eyes and says, then there would be no choice. If, then you would just be acting out of your instinct, just like this animal was. And that's what separates us from them. So he reminded me, it was actually funny timing, when I was speaking with Pastor Call about speaking uh, this message on humanity, I had just watched this episode the night before. And it reminded me of, um, I actually almost believe the Lord was speaking to me through this show, in the middle of watching it, I was reminded of that's exactly like the tension we live with the Holy Spirit in our flesh. If we don't choose to live by the Holy Spirit and we just act out of our desires, we're no different than animals trying to survive. Just just some food for thought there. So humanity has never and humanity will never achieve salvation by what We can do or by our own works. I heard somebody uh, that I work with say to me, I don't have a problem with religion, but what I have a hard time with is how you can say, you know, a good person, or she used the example of a Buddhist monk who doesn't hurt anybody, who lives in isolation. Right, that, that tries to, to be the best person that, that they can be, how can you say that that person can't go to heaven but corrupt Christians will go to heaven? And I'm actually thankful that it has nothing to do with what I can do because even the best of person, the best person on this earth doesn't even come close to God's standards. In the Garden of Eden... Even Adam were aware that there was a massive gap between them and God, even in their perfect state. There is nothing that we can do, no, no, no matter how good or how noble, there's nothing that we can do to even come close to God's standards. We will always fall short. Humans are born in a depraved state. Again, affected wholly by sin. We are automatically affected by the curse brought on by Adam and Eve, and because of that alone we are unable to achieve salvation by our works we are unable to please god hebrews 11:6 says this and it is impossible to please god without faith anyone who wants to come to him must believe that god exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him now that last part there and he rewards those that who sincerely seek him is important because It's okay to believe God exists, but it's not going to buy you salvation. Satan thinks God exists. Satan believes that God's real, right? Lots of people can believe that God is real, but he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 22 to 24 says this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by by Christ Jesus. So if humans are unable to achieve perfection or unable to achieve righteousness, then what are we to do? Where's our hope? Do do humans have hope if there is nothing possibly that we can do to earn our salvation? How do we achieve righteousness? We choose to have faith in Christ. We choose to have faith in Christ. We we don't just acknowledge that God is there. We seek him. We live our life in pursuit of God. Faith isn't... Um, faith is deeper than just saying, yes, I acknowledge God. Faith is a trust in God. And the, the, the tough part about faith, okay, the hard part about faith is faith can only be tested in a difficult time. It's not really trusting God if things are good and things are easy and everything is going your way. There's no trust involved. If you feel like you've got it going okay on your own, you don't need to trust in God. Faith is tested when we're brought out of somewhere that we're unfamiliar with in a season of our life when we don't know the outcome, when we don't know what the next step is. Then we trust in God. We have faith that he will pull us through and we take those steps toward God. That's the difference between acknowledging God and having faith in God. Is everybody tracking? Awesome. So Christ closes the gap between us and God, no matter how big or how small that gap is. We're going to talk about the phrase regeneration. How many of you have heard of the phrase regeneration before? Regeneration literally means um, a rebirth. Um, So the sinful believer, those of us who were born in a sinful nature in our human state, We are reborn into the righteousness of Christ when we accept Jesus. We are reborn into his family. Regeneration doesn't mean a renovation. It doesn't mean we kind of get a little bit better. God tweaks us here and there. It's not a renovation. It's a recreation. And that is what baptism symbolizes. For those that are baptized, it's, it's symbolic of um, when you go under the water, the old you is dead. It's gone it's forgotten about, and when you come out of that water, you are reborn, you are recreated. Now baptism itself does not regenerate. There are some uh, believers that believe that baptism itself can bring regeneration, that you cannot achieve salvation without baptism. Baptism does not regenerate the same way that circumcision didn't regenerate in the Old Testament. It was symbolic. To become like Jesus, humans are in need of regeneration. And there's other steps in the process, like sanctification and all that stuff, but that's for, that's for another week. But I, I thank God that me, somebody who is born in my state, that, that does the things that I do, says the things that I say, can be reborn into the family of Christ. A few months ago, we talked about, um, actually the last time I spoke, we talked about being given a new name. And that's what goes along with us humans. Us, in our human nature, we deserve names like, like thief and liar, cheater, deceiver, right? But God places a new name in us when we're adopted into his family. Uh, if I could get, uh, is David in this room? Oh, you're right there. Hey, David, you want to come up? So, humans, so in closing, we are all in need of repentance. Every person in this room. Every single person in this room is in need of repentance. No matter how big or small you might think your sin is, no matter how how much you feel like God has been distant from you or how close you've been with God, we are in need of repentance. Repentance always points us towards Jesus. So in the same way that our our sinful nature, our, our human nature, our flesh... In the same way that that points us to gratifying ourselves and it, and it actually pulls us away from God, repentance is the submission. It's the holding back from our desires, saying my desires right now don't matter. I lay it all down and I'm following you, Jesus. I'm, I, I'm sorry for what I've done. And it's it's suppressing your human nature. It's the same, it's the same type of... Uh, reason that we fast. Fasting isn't when we fast and pray and when we see that done in the Bible, it's not twisting God's arm and being like, look God, I'm fasting now, you have to listen to me. It's actually beating your, your body your, your human desire into submission saying, I'm ignoring what I want today. I'm ignoring my hunger. I'm ignoring my, my boredom. I'm ignoring all the things in my life and I'm focusing on Jesus. That's the heart that we need to have when we repent. That's what a repentant heart looks like. So if I could get everybody to just stand for a minute. We are all in need. We are all in need of repentance. Some of you might feel like your sin has disqualified you uh, from forgiveness. Some of you might even be telling yourself that. I, I am a person who, I'm very hard on myself. I struggle with guilt a lot and I allow myself to fall into the trap that I am defined by the things that I've done. And that is not true. It's simply not true. And I know that every person in this room is in need of repentance on some level, but we also are all in need of more of the Holy Spirit in this place. If we are gonna combat our human nature, if we are going to win over our flesh and have victory over our flesh, over addiction, over sin, over thoughts that lead us astray. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We need, back to that illustration of the cats. Are you going to feed the the cat that's your human nature or are you going to feed the cat that's the Spirit of God? Because they're never going to align. They're always in opposition and pull each other away from the other one. So which one this morning are you going to nurture? Which one are you going to feed this morning? So if I could get everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads, If you can honestly say today, and I'm putting my hand up, if you can honestly say today, I am right now losing my battle in some area of my life. I am losing the battle to my flesh. I need more of the Holy Spirit in me right now. Would you just lift up your hand? My hand is up. There are some areas where I am losing to my flesh today. Father, I just pray for every single person in this room, God, that has their hand raised. I just declare, Father, over this entire room that, Holy Spirit, you would just come, open up our hearts to you, and you would just fall down like rain on us today. God, I just pray for every person that has put their hand up. You know exactly what's going on, God. Even in more detail, you know every nuance of every situation, even more than we do. So, Father, I just declare that you would come like you do and you would touch every heart in this room right now, God. Holy Spirit, fill those with their hands up. Fill those that are willing to receive. Father, we need more of you. If, if we gather at church, we don't gather at church to feel good about ourselves. We don't gather to come, feel refreshed, and leave. We come because we need more of you. We need to know who you are, and we need to become more like you. And we can only become more like you if we win the battle over our flesh, over our human nature today. It is your will that all people be saved and all people become like you. So, Father, I just declare over every person, show us your glory this morning. Set people free this morning. Those with addiction today, set them free. Those with pain, bring peace to their hearts. Let that not lead to sin. God, I pray those living in perpetual sin, however small, however large, sin is sin. God, I pray for those who who need patience because their lack of patience is causing them to sin. I pray for those who get frustrated which causes them to fall into sin. Holy Spirit, touch them, fill them, set them free today. Set me free today, Lord. I pray that as we walk out of this room in just a few moments, pray that we would all have a better idea of who you are, that Holy Spirit, that you would go before us, that you'd come with us today that as we walk out of here, that you would do a work in us, that we will not continue to lose the battle of our flesh, but we will decide to follow you, Holy Spirit, that we won't let our human nature define us, that we won't act on our human nature, but we will lay it down, ignore our desires. We will follow your voice. So God, speak to us, guide us, lead us, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint our ears to hear your voice this week, anoint our ears to hear you, anoint our hearts and minds to put it to action today, and give us a love for your word. I declare all of these things. I thank you that we can gather in your house today, in your presence, in your glory. Thank you, Father. Before we end, why don't we just lift up a quick song of thanksgiving? Why don't you just lift up your voice and say, Thank you, God, for His grace. Thank God for His grace and His mercy for His grace. There's nothing we can do to achieve salvation, to achieve righteousness, so we just thank Him that He closes that gap for us today. Thank you, God. If it was based on me, I'd be long gone. Thank you, God.